Not a particularly long show. It would have been a little bit longer, but um, Arizona Cardinals fell on their face. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is you decided to make a Big Sky Sports Talk a part of your day. My family and I greatly appreciate it. You found the only podcast in the um, United States. Thought, forgot what I was going to say there. Uh, that uh, covers the four major franchises of one major market, and that's Phoenix, Arizona. We do things a little bit differently. We do it from Big Sky Country, Billings, Montana. We cover ASU football, ASU basketball, and all presented by the uh, unofficial presenting sponsor of Muyah Billings. Um, I don't know what in the world happened there. I think I was kind of um, thinking about... Um, you know, the Cardinals falling on their face and not just about the game. I was going to, like, add a little bit of a joke there, but we have um, – it looks like it's going to be, like, a, a thing for um, Wednesday shows from Tuesday's content. Um, and and uh, happy Wednesday to you. Hope, hopefully your day was, was good yesterday. Um, that we'll have the coordinators – Drew Petzing, um, Nick Rollis, and uh, Jeff Rogers. Well, azcardinals.com doesn't have any of the three uploaded. Maybe they will uh, sometime later on today. Um, And then their YouTube page only has Petzing and Rogers. So uh, Nick Rollis, when when and if they get it up, will uh, have uh, his thoughts on the game and, and kind of going forward um, uh, for uh, tomorrow's uh, show is, is likely what we'll do. So um, that will be a more jam-packed Cardinals uh, day because because of that and then everything else that I would normally get uh, for today's media availability um, that will also be for tomorrow's show. So I know that's... A lot going on there. Hopefully you follow, but you'll understand, uh, well, tomorrow's show. Um, but other than that, we, we have we have the, the standard stuff. Um, might, uh, and this is all dependent on dbex.com, might have uh, both um, Diamondbacks at the end and the beginning uh, of the show. Um and that's because uh, the game before I hit record ended, and they might have everything I need uploaded uh, by by the end. Um, if they do, then we'll then we will revisit uh, Diamondbacks. If they don't, then we'll just cover uh, yesterday's uh, or uh, Monday's game. Um, we'll cover Monday's game, not. Uh, not yesterday's because yesterday's just uh, finished up. Last night's just finished up um, before recording, and uh, if they don't have it, we'll we'll have it for tomorrow's show. If 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 that makes sense again, um, you're lost. You'll you'll know tomorrow. But anyway, back to um, the. Uh, standard standard operating procedure that you would normally hear is uh, me greeting you and seeing how you're doing and talking about my day. Um, pretty 
pretty normal day yesterday. Um, had uh, had dinner with with my mom and JD and chicken and um, um, baked potato, uh, baked beans, uh, corn on the cob and uh, carrots, sliced uh, uh, carrots. So um, a good hearty meal um as well so um it was it was good real real good work was solid um just a kind of a normal day i was able to come home for uh um lunch yesterday had some leftover uh pizza so i've been fed well today been fed really well today that that's i guess me eating it was the highlight of um of yesterday's and I know I just said today because it's still today for me, but uh, of uh, yesterday's um, day was was food for me. That that's that's all I have right now going on. So um, I don't think I have anything else. Um, I may or may not be moving into a, a new uh, rental property. Um, it's kind of contingent on a couple of different things. I haven't seen it yet, but my my mom was telling me about it, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and uh, yeah, that that that's that's about it. Um, sound credits we have. Um, Dbacks.com gives us a, a recap on um, on Monday's game, and then um, Dbacks.com might give us the sound credit either for today's show at the end of the show uh, from yesterday's game or it dbex.com will give us the credit of yesterday's game tomorrow <laughs> um and then we have um uh arizona cardinals um youtube page drew petzing and jeff rogers and then uh arizona sports youtube page uh has two different topics uh about the cardinals that that will um talk about and then um lastly or second to last depending on how things going and i know this is, might sound all kinds of confusing um we'll have uh sun devil source will give us uh kenny dillingham after uh yesterday's um practice so i, I know that's a lot and that's jumping around all over the place but uh we'll uh the only thing you need to know is is getting into some Diamondbacks, and that's up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Muya Burgers, Fries, Shakes, and Billings is the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. There are several Muya locations throughout the United States and a couple of locations internationally. Let's start out with the food. The burgers are fantastic. They have burgers for every lifestyle, vegan, keto, low-calorie, as well as gluten-free. My personal favorite is the Cheddar Bacon Barbecue Burger. Their fries are always fresh, and don't forget about the Muya sauce. You can get a shake to go along with it. Though the food is good, I always leave satisfied, but their customer service is at the top. Rico, he's the general manager of Muya Billings. He and his staff are top-notch. They are located at 2695 King Avenue West in Billings, Montana. So go see my guy Rico. He'll hook you up, 
and tell him I sent you. Muya Billings, the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. I briefly mentioned it during yesterday's show, um, but the Diamondbacks started a uh, new series against the Mets and uh, was able to win it 4-3. to three. Um, Kevin Ginkle got the win and Seawald gets the save. Um, Zach Davies got beat up a little bit, four innings pitched, uh, four hits, three earned runs, uh, and uh, three walks, five strikeouts, all the runs that the Mets would get, get tagged to Zach Davies. He has a 6.81 ERA now. Uh, Kyle Nelson, uh, two innings, giving up two hits, striking out one. 3.44 ERA. Frias win an inning, struck out one, 4.64 ERA. Ginkle win an inning, um, struck out two, 2.26. And Seawald uh, closed it down, win an inning, uh, walked two, struck out one, 3.16 ERA for um, Paul Seawald. Catel uh, Marte, two for five. Corbin Carroll, 0 for 5, Tommy Pham 3 for 5, and the home run. Um, Herrera had a plate appearance, nothing doing. Um, Walker 0 for 4, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. 0 for 3, uh, Longoria as a DH 1 for 2, Paven Smith as a pinch hitter uh, 1 for 1, uh, Rivera 0 for 1, uh, Jace Peterson as a pinch hitter 0 for 1. Jordan Lawler, 0 for 2. Perdomo, 0 for 2 as a pinch hitter. Um, uh, Saliva, Sebi, Sebi, Saliva, I think that's how they said his name. I just call him Sebi. He went 2 for 3. He's been pretty good both uh, last two games. Alec Thomas um, as a pinch hitter, 1 for 1. Uh, yeah, Diamondbacks got up early. Mets, um, would get ahead, um, in the, in the fourth and then Diamondbacks in the eighth and ninth. Um, one, uh, one error for the, uh, Diamondbacks on, uh, four runs with 10 hits. Mets had, uh, three runs on... Uh, six hits and no errors, and here is how um, how it all went down. It's been 22 years today since the tragic events of 9-11-2001, which changed our world and changed our city forever, so it behooves us every year to take a few moments to remember those who perished that day and those who showed the greatest of heroism. And there's Jose Quintana. He's ready to get that ERA down below three. He has that record, as I've always mentioned. Boy, it could be reversed. He's pitched that wonderfully. And set to go with Quintel Marte leading things off. And a check swing. He went around on the curveball in the dirt. And Quintana's got a strikeout to start the night. One up, one down. It'll bring up Corbin Carroll. And he struck him out. Came up, in, up and in with a fastball. Back-to-back strikeouts for Quintana to start the night. The former Met, Tommy Pham, will be the batter. A little dribbler out in front of the plate. Narvaez hops on it. And that retires the side. 
One, two, three for Quintana with a couple of K's. Mets come to bat in the bottom of the first with no score. The D-back starter tonight, the right-hander Zach Davies. 15 starts for Zach, his fourth since coming off the injured list with that lower back inflammation. He's going to have to be one of those guys tonight. Just going to have to control that strike zone, stay around the edges. Brandon Nimmo leads off against Zach Davies. That's pulled into right field, a base hit for Nimmo to start the bottom of the first. So Nimmo down in the count. Got a change up to hit and yanked it under right field and the Mets have a leadoff base run. Lindor had two home runs against Davies in his career and six at bats. Nimmo takes off. Lindor lines it to right. Right at Tommy Pham. And they're going to double off Nimmo. And McNeil making contact with a two out single. Pete four home runs in his last six games. 43 for the year. Got him. Move that four seamer up and away. Got the strikeout. And we are scoreless after one in New York. Zach Davies and Jose Quintana. DJ Stewart leads off the home second for New York. Marte smothers it at second to tell Marte with a terrific play to get the out on DJ Stewart. Good play right here by Marte. Gets a nice beat on it. Gets a good hop right here. You'll see him take that stride over to his left. Full extension. Tommy Family is off against lefty Jose Quintana for the Mets. This one's down the line and he thumps it into the right field corner. And Tommy Pham, the former Met, is back in town. A double leads off the Diamondback fourth inning. So Guriel's on. Now the Diamondbacks have runners at the corners with one out. Longoria has it safely in three of his last four games. Base hit just beyond the reach of Vientos at third. Pham will come in. Guriel scampers into third. It's an RBI single for Evan Longoria and a 1-0 D-backs lead. Nice job by Longoria with two strikes. Put that ball in play. And get that runner in. And there's runners at the corners still. Here's Emmanuel Rivera. Rivera gets it up in the air. Stewart's under it in right. Guriel's at third. And here comes Lourdes. Stewart with a throw. It's cut off by Alonzo. The RBI for Rivera. 2-0 Arizona, fourth inning. Here's McNeil. McNeil drives one to deep right field. Fam goes back, takes a look, and it's out of here. Jeff McNeil with his eighth home run of the year gets the Mets on the board. McNeil jumping on a first pitch from Zach Davies. Powers one out of the yard. It is two to one Arizona in the bottom of the fourth inning. The back to back two out walks to Alonzo and Stewart. And that pushes the tying run to scoring position for Ronnie Mauricio. That's line to right field cutting across his fan. He can't get there. It's up the gap. In the score is Alonzo with the tying run. Stewart's being waved around third. The ball gets away on the infield. Racing for third. Mauricio, he slides in. He's safe. The Mets take the lead. Three to two. Ronnie Mauricio finds the gap and drives in a pair, and it's 3-2 to two New York. So now two men away, and runners at first and second, and Christian Walker will be the batter with a tying and go-ahead runs aboard for Arizona. And Walker hits one toward the middle of the diamond. Lindor with a backhand flip, and he gets the third out. That's all about range. He can do that with one hand tied behind his back. No two out and nobody on that. Jeff McNeil is two for two tonight. Single to center and then hit his eighth home run of the year. Oh, McNeil, last year's batting champion, three for three tonight. He's thinking double. Tommy Pham fires to second. And McNeil is out of there. They got him. Jordan Lawler gets the tag down. McNeil got a little greedy there. And Tommy Pham, his former teammate, threw him out at second base. Tommy Pham with a terrific throw. Two terrific defensive Diamondback plays right there. And it's a 1-2-3 for Nelson. Sean Reed Foley on to pitch for the Mets as we go to the sixth. 3-2 New York. Lourdes Gurriel leads off. And strike three call. So Reed Foley comes back from 3-0 to get Gurriel looking at a fastball. Boy, didn't even swing the bat. 
One out. Longoria strikes out. Some back-to-back -back strikeouts for Reed Foley. Two out. Geraldo Perdomo batting for Lawler. Swing and a miss, and Reed Foley strikes out three in the inning. And the former Met, Tommy Pham, will be the batter. Pham has been most of the offense. He has doubled, singled, and scored a run tonight. Nimmo on the run. That's near the wall, and it's gone. Tommy Pham wanted to hit home runs, and here he is. And Pham in the eighth inning has tied the ball game. The former Met delivers his third hit of the game. The Diamondbacks have tied this game 3-3. Three to three. So Alec Thomas to first base holds on. He's the go-ahead man with one out. Now back to the top of the order, Cattell Marte. The 0-1, little looper down the left field line, slicing. It's a fair ball, base hit. Here comes Thomas around third. He comes home standing with a go-ahead run, and the Diamondbacks have taken a 4-3 lead here in the ninth inning. Marte at third with two outs. Chance to pick up an insurance run right here. And here comes the hot bat in this lineup, three for four. And a hot shot to second right at Mauricio. So Pham continues to hit the ball hard, but he grounds out to end the inning. Diamondbacks take the lead. Mets come up at the bottom of the ninth, down four to three. Here is the former Met. He spent four years pitching as a setup man in the Met bullpen, Paul Seawall. 60 appearances, 15 with the Diamondbacks since the trade from Seattle. Paul has saves in all four of his outings this month, including Wrigley Field both Thursday and Saturday. Four, three Diamondbacks, runners at the corners, two out, bottom nine. So here's Nimmo. What are they thinking? How do you allow the winning run to steal second base? That is as bonehead a managerial decision as I've seen all year long. Now a base hit wins the game. Center field, late break for Alec. He's under it. And Paul Seawalt somehow survives one more time, and so do the Diamondbacks. They come back to get a 4-3 win. They put some distance between themselves and the Marlins, and they take the opener this four-game set in New York. Yeah, that was a pretty bonehead for sure. I mean, just allowed the base runner to steal into second, and yeah, base hit wins the game, but thankfully for... Um, that uh, the um, Mets didn't get one, <laughs> and uh, Diamondbacks won uh, four to three. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's D-backs for for right now. Maybe we'll revisit it again, and like I said at the end of the show, and I'll kind of give a recap. Uh, I'll either way during my outro. Um, little thing I do I'll uh, kind of you know let you know where where the D-backs uh, stand um, let's uh, get into some Cardinals up next uh, and we'll kick it off with uh, Drew Petzing and then uh, Jeff Rogers and then a couple of different things from Arizona Sports um, but anyway that is as I said up next on Big Sky Sports Talk 'AZcardinals.com and their YouTube page kind of fell on their face a little bit. Um, if you go to it, uh, azcardinals.com, as of right now, um, Jer Petzing, uh, Jeff Rogers, and Nick Rollis has not been uploaded. Uh, if you go to the YouTube page, it says all three, but you click on what would be Nick Rollis, it's Drew Petzing again. So we only have... Uh, Drew Petzing right now, and, and um, Jeff Rogers will have Nick Rollis a little bit later. Um, and this was uh, um, 
yesterday. Um, they had uh, some media availability for uh, the three gentlemen. And again, like I said, we only have two. So here is uh, Drew Petzing first. Yeah, I thought he got in and out of the huddle really well. Uh, had good command of the offense. So I uh, was really excited about the progress he made and, and look for that to continue here this week. How's it feel just to get that first week under your belt? Good. I mean, obviously, I wish it came out, you know, in a different a outcome. But uh, I thought the guys went out there and competed really hard. I was really pleased with the way they responded to kind of the adversity throughout the game and the effort that they put forward. So uh, a lot to build on. Given how little time that Josh had to kind of work with you guys, did you guys keep a little bit more conservative for him and, and kind of slow roll him into it? Yeah, I think every game comes up different from that standpoint, whether it's the quarterback or the opponent or kind of what we think we need to do to win the game. The plan's always going to kind of be based around those principles, uh, and I don't think Sunday was any different. Yesterday, Jonathan referenced negative yardage plays, which led a lot of times to third and really long, and some of those negative plays were on first down. First down was, was rough. What, what, what is your reaction to that after watching the tape? Yeah, I think that was a you know one of the things that kind of made it hard on offense for us was those negative plays. So I think just trying to correct that, uh, find ways from a schematic standpoint to put guys in better position to be successful, and then certainly focus on the execution as well as we kind of go into next week. Look at the philosophy of first downs, just generally, even if it's not just negative plays, but just you know being successful on first downs, not talked about a lot. Yeah, I think the success on first and second down. You know, I think that's a the big part of the plan. It's got to be a focus for us as an offense, as a staff, as we move forward into this week. So, uh, definitely going to emphasize that. Is it fair to say that because of Washington's defensive front, you by design kind of did some behind the line plays to take some pressure off of Josh and the offense? Yeah, I think anytime you play a D line, you know, with that ability, you're going to take that into account as you kind of put the plan together. So that certainly impacted kind of our mindset as we went into the football game. What did Keontae show you? I mean, I know I think it was a lot of it was circumstance. I mean, I think that he, he runs really hard. I think we saw that throughout preseason and it continued yesterday. Even when it wasn't there, he's given everything he has to fight for extra yards and continue to make it work. So I was really pleased with his performance. What did you take away from Paris? Yeah, it was first time out there. I thought he did a really nice job. Uh, you know, obviously, that, as we talked about, that's a good front. And he was out there on an edge playing tackle. Uh, and I thought he competed and I thought he, he played at a high level. The, um, oh, yeah, I, I grabbed him right when he came to the sideline and talked to him. It's, it's hard. You know, there's the emotional aspect of the football game, and, you know, he felt like someone was lying on the quarterback for too long. But, you know, we got to teach him that, and he's got to understand that, hey, no matter the circumstance or the emotion behind the game, we can't do that. We can't put the team in that position. He knows that. He responded really well to that. So uh, got that corrected going forward. What did you see out of Michael Wilson that impressed you? Yeah, I thought similar to what we just talked about with Keontae. I mean, he, he really competed. I mean, he played a lot of snaps. Uh, effort never dropped. Uh, you know, did everything he could to get open in his routes. Competed really hard in the run game. Finished plays really well. You know, like when the ball's thrown, whether it's coming his way or not, he's he's turning and looking for more work. So I was really encouraged by that. Roberts was a main target. Looked like, I don't know if it was miscommunication or the throw. I mean, what did you make from the connection or lack thereof with Dobbs? Yeah, I thought Zach had a good day. I mean, obviously, there's some plays I'm sure he would like back. There's some plays I would like back. There's some plays we all would like back. But I think he went out there. I mean, coming off the ACL, first time back out there, you know, only, you know, his first practice was basically Dobbs' first practice. So uh, I think they've started to develop that relationship, and I would certainly expect that to continue. Were you disappointed with how things went in that first game in terms of the production, or is it just one of those things where that, that happened to be that game? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think my mindset is always going to be if they score more points than us, 
somewhere along the line, I'm going to be disappointed. And whether that's a ton of points or a small amount of points, my goal is to score one more than they do. And for whatever reason, on Sunday, we didn't do it. So I think there's certainly some disappointment in that. Uh, but there's a lot of things to be encouraged about in terms of the way guys performed individually, uh, in terms of the way we handled the road environment. Uh, so I think there's some stuff to build on. But my message to those guys is, hey, we can be disappointed, but we're not down. Uh, and I think that has to be our mindset moving forward here this week uh, as we go through the rest of the season. Chances to win that game, even at the end. Um, is, is there a lot of reason for optimism considering, you know, if you take away the two fumbles by Josh, you're probably going to win this game. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think, and, and I know JG has said this, like, our goal, win or lose, is to improve every week. So as we look at the tape, as we figure out as coaches what we could do better schematically, put guys in better position to be successful, from an individual standpoint where we can clean up technique and decision making, that's going to be our focus regardless of the outcome, but certainly a lot to be encouraged about in terms of the way the game went on Sunday. That he, he hopes to take a big jump this week. Um, what would that look like to you based on last week's performance? Yeah, I think if, you know the operation in that huddle even being cleaner, crisper, a little bit more uh, concise. And then I think just the familiarity with, hey, how guys are coming out of their breaks, where they're going to be down the field, how that relates to what we're trying to accomplish relative to the defense we're attacking, I think is going to be big. And I certainly think he took a lot of steps in a short amount of time and, and really looking forward for that growth to continue. Where on your wish level, 1-10, would explosives be for you as an offense? Probably right behind points, you know, because generally when you're creating ex <laughs> yeah, that would probably be a good number. I think, you know, generally when you're creating explosive plays, you're creating points. So we're going to look for creative ways to try to find and generate them. And certainly we have some players that we think are capable of doing that. Um, so that's going to continue to be an emphasis uh, every week. They did have a couple of explosive plays. Uh, you know, explosives is uh, – uh, 20 yards or, or more not not they didn't have many they you know I, I think uh, as Josh continues to make a jump and he said uh, you know he expects big things out of himself this upcoming uh, week during practice and into uh, the game first game at home against the Giants um, that uh, they'll See more and more, and and then you know, I where I didn't stop it, but I can talk about it right now. And you heard, uh, um, uh, Bob Bob McManaman uh, mentioned, hey, you you, if uh, those fumbles don't happen with Josh, there's you know, it's hard to tell, but there's a good chance you do win the game. And in, in which course, which course, which case, uh, Drew said, you know, probably. And but the biggest thing. You know, that JG always talks about is that we need to get better. Win, lose, or draw, we need you know, find to find a get ways to, to get better. Um, and uh, one way already, I guess you can say, is is ball security. And then, of course, you know, the operation of, of uh, from the quarterback on game day. Some hiccups this week, considering Josh only had two weeks with these guys Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think uh, a couple things. I think any time, you know, there's a limited amount of time on task in, in any aspect of the game, you're going to have a little bit of nuance or novelty to just not – it's not going to be perfect in, in a lot of ways. But I think just knowing who he is, how we practice, the way he prepared for two weeks, uh, didn't expect a ton of it. And, and I thought they handled it for the most part really well on Sunday. So certainly expect that to continue. Was it six practices and that's it for John? Is that yeah, what you got? That sounds about right, yeah. Crazy, but remarkable. <laughs> I mean, considering yeah, I, th I think I think it, it's 
Absolutely. I think it speaks to him as a person, as a player, and I think it speaks to the teammates he has. You know, those guys were there for him. They, they were there to work with him, to talk to him, to get on the same page with him. Uh, it wasn't an easy task, and I think they, they were up for it. So I was really encouraged by that. That were off target from Josh. Did you view those as maybe footwork, timing issues? Maybe he's too just too amped up. What do you think was the main reason for that? Yeah, I think it can be a lot of different things. I mean, sometimes it's the familiarity with the guy you're throwing to. You know, sometimes it's something they did on defense where, hey, they might have been in the window and you had to put a ball in a certain place. Um, so I think we got to look back and try to correct some of the ones that are correctable. And look, there are times where balls just have to be in a tough spot and it could be a tough catch or it can be an incompletion. And we have to live with some of that as well. So certainly something we're going to continue to look at. As far as James, is, usage, is that something you look back and say, hey, maybe we could lean on him or just flow of the game didn't allow that? Yeah, I think it, you know, obviously if we're winning there the last four or five minutes, he's going to get a lot of carries there down the stretch. So I thought I uh, was really encouraged by his performance. Certainly want to get him the ball. I think he's playing at a high level. So uh, he's certainly a big part of who we are. Despite them not scoring last week, how much can you still glean from looking at their tape? A lot. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I think it's a, it's a really well-coached team. I, you know, obviously things didn't go the way they wanted to week one, but uh, they got a lot of talent. I think they're really well-coached. I think the scheme creates a lot of different problems. Uh, certainly Wink was someone we played against when I was in Cleveland twice a year. have a lot of respect for him and how he does things. Um, so we got our hands full this week. We're going to get to work and get going here. All right. That's uh, Drew. And then we'll go ahead and move on to uh, Jeff Rogers, uh, the uh, – um, special teams coach. Matt Prater just keeps going and going. I, I know that there was a couple of kicks he probably wouldn't have minded making in the preseason, but it seems like when the regular season starts, you just don't have to worry about him at all. He certainly had a career track record of consistency. And there's some things in the preseason you're always trying to work through and, um, you know, <laughs> The one advantage that specialists get is most of those guys do get preseason reps. You know, you kind of uh, pick your poison with the offense and defensive players or starters, but the specialists usually get enough game reps to where, um, you know, they're knocking that rust off and, and uh, hopefully ready to go week one. You see extra buy-in than usual in your punt cover. You know, it seems like guys are flying down the field, whether it's Boyd or Christian Matthew, that entire unit. I wouldn't say extra buy-in. I mean, th those guys are competitive with each other. And, you know, it's you're trying to win and do the right thing and um, do your job against the opponent. But at the same time, you know, those guys all want to make the play. And, um, you know, when you get enough guys out there that are kind of racing to the ball, um, generally speaking, you have good results. they they got to play within the system. But um, they all want to be the guy making that tackle. Rare to have a wide receiver with the kind of special teams mentality that Zach Pascal has in terms of coverage. Uh, rare is probably not the right word, but I would say it's uncommon. You know, there's there's plenty of wideouts I've had um, that I've worked with, and the guys are good teams players. What differentiates Zach from some of those guys is he's a bigger body type, so he's involved in punt protection. Um, he's kind of the inside guy on, on kickoff coverage. And a lot of times those wide receivers, even if they're contributors, they're more on the perimeter um, of the units. But, but he's got really good size and speed and, and a lot of uh, position flex. When you, talk, when you talked last week and asked about Nolan, you talked about the lights coming on and mm -hmm. see what happens. How would you generally 
evaluate his performance? Yeah, I thought it was solid. There was some. Uh, there was two really good punts in the game. The first, in in his direction uh, as well. I thought was solid all day. Um, you know, for plus fifty didn't really get into that. So there were mostly field punts, but. You know, it, there was that first punt end up being a 61-yard exchange of field position. That's really good. And there's a 53-yard fair catch. You know, and if the ball's not in the air for for a long time, that's not happening. So uh, I thought he, was, he had a pretty solid day. What do you see as uh, Matt's keys maybe to to taking care of himself, his leg at this advanced time in his career, his age, given all that he does? and the power he still has. How does he do it and keep it going for this long? Well, I'd say as of right now, at the stage of his career, he knows what he needs to be ready for Sunday. And whereas maybe 10 years ago, um, you know, I was coaching him 10 years ago, <clears throat> he might have hit six, seven, eight extra balls to make sure, um, you know, if he was working on something and, and you know, he doesn't, kick off 20 balls a week anymore. You know, he knows what he needs to, to get ready on Sunday and uh, kind of does that. And if there's something he's got to do, he'll do it. Uh, but otherwise, he knows what his workload needs to be throughout the week in order to perform on game day. As it pertains to kicking, Matt Prater is, is still, a, you know, one of the better kickers in the NFL. I mean, he kicks it plenty deep enough for kickoff and he still has some solid distance and power for um um field goals and PATs um and it it's a really underrated um position in the NFL I think sometimes like you know you you never really talk about them when when they're doing good. You're always talking about them when things are not going well, and uh, you know it's something I know I'm used to. Maybe definitely not on the same level where you know I do sound and media at the church and 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 anywhere else I can do it. Um, and you know the. Service is going good, and, and maybe the people that are in the know will, will say, "Hey, yeah, good job today." Um, but as soon as something's bad, that you know, the whole sanctuary, the whole the whole congregation looks back at you and you're like, "Hey, you gonna fix that?" Kind of, kind of look. And the same for you know, again, not on the same exact scale, but similar. You know, when Matt Prater's on, you know, it's like. You you are impressed, but it's not something you know you're talking about uh, talking about around the water cooler at work, uh, so to speak. But um, as soon as it's you know starts going south a little bit, it's like um, maybe it's time to get a new one, or maybe it's time for Matt Prey to retire. Maybe it's time to do this, or um, or if they're you know maybe he's not uh, kicking at all. He's injured. It's it's similar conversation it's like man i wish we had prater back you know uh, it's it's a uh seems to be a pretty thankless job and 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 all the pressure on you you know in a game winning situation or or anything like that it's it's a uh, mentally tough i would like to see 
or see and and hear Prater's response to that same question is like, hey, how do you do? You know, you you've been doing this for a while. How do you do what you do? How do how do you still have the power, the accuracy uh, to to kick as well as you do? I you know, I would like to hear his thoughts on it. Uh, but I think Rogers nailed it. You know, he's been doing it for so long. He doesn't have to, you know, kick as many balls during practice as, as he used to. Um, now it's just just a couple. He knows exactly what he needs, and and uh, um, you just kind of leave it alone. What is the call with the waiting seconds in the game, and you've got a punt return? Is it just a regular punt return, or is it you've got a special kind of play call, like blank band is on the field type kind of situation? Yeah, um... Don't want to get into too many schematics, but you know when you get at the end of that game, you don't really know what the opponent is going to do, right? There's seven seconds left, so there are plays throughout the history of the game where there are some. I was I was with one team who had an offensive play called Octopus, and they basically were trying to burn eight seconds off the clock by having the quarterback heave it up out of bounds and all those things. That's ambitious to say that's an eight-second play. Um, you see teams do that with four seconds left, five seconds left, but seven's kind of in that that gray area. Um, they certainly could have gone for it there, you know, and probably gotten it to the last play. They decided to punt it, um, which we got to be ready for. But, you know, I, if Dortch lets that ball go, right, like, hey, don't catch it inside the whatever yard line, well, if he does that, the game's over. They're going to pick it up, and you know it's the game's over. So you have to return it in that situation if the ball's in play. But um, there are different things that, that teams do um, in those situations. We got into it really early in the season. Um, I mean, there's a lot of words that that come to mind, but you know, I think. He's done a decent job with his decision-making. Um, his handling of the ball is usually on point. Um, you know, he's, a, he's a quick player, and he plays bigger than what he is. But you know, the, the skill set isn't that of a guy like Brian Mitchell, right, back in the day, who's you know running back, thicker guy, Cordero Patterson, you know, like those bigger guys. That's not a skill set. So he's got to play to who he is. and. Uh, for the most part, he does that uh, most of the time. But if he gets an alley away, he's probably gone, right? If he, if he could find that alley with that speed, you, you hope. <laughs> and we, we we've got to create those uh, that air for him. Land C was pretty very clean game penalty wise on special teams. I think there was the one on boot and the neutral zone was declined, but overall, what was your assessment of that? Yeah, we try to stay penalty free. I mean, week one, it's always faster than what it is in practice. It's always faster than what it is in the preseason. Um, I'll take that kind of uh, penalty performance over some other ones I've been a part of. Definitely seeing it happen. How do you see a player elevate himself from a special teams contributor and a standout to a bigger role on offense or defense? Um, I don't know that there's a common thread to it. You know, it, I, I would say that, and I, this is something I conveyed all the young players. When you first get in this league, I don't 
pretend that every player grew up as a seven-year-old dreaming about playing the R3 on kickoff coverage, right? Like, they all want to score touchdowns. They all want to sack people. They all want to throw the ball. Um, you know, that's kind of where their heart is. But you have to hang around long enough in this league to get those opportunities. And when you cover kicks and be a part of the return game, block for people, um, you're kind of buying yourself time in order to develop. There are a lot of players that come in this league. Let's take running back, for example. I think there's a lot of guys that can run the ball in this league. Um, the problem is if you get stuck, you know, kind of third, fourth in the depth chart and you're not contributing as a special teams player, they're going to find somebody who will. And if you can put yourself in a position where you hang around, develop, work with the coaches, get more comfortable in schemes, at some point you're going to get your break because, you know, there's going to be a guy nicked here or there, and then it's what you do with that opportunity. So. Um, it's about as good as I could describe it. With special teams, especially you know, some of the rules change as of late, with a game like last night and how it ended, special teams play, I mean, watching that, is there any just sort of pride as what you do, you know, seeing that around the league and showing people what special teams can really do? Well, um, special teams coaches are in unique positions. So let's take the end result of that game last night and say it was an offensive play, right? And the guy throws a 70-yard bomb, and you're asking the offensive coordinator, you know, how great was that? Then the defensive coordinator comes sits up here, and you ask that same question. He's saying, what are you thinking, right? So you look through it through both lenses, and you see the impact that you can have on a game, but at the same time, you've got to look at the flip side of it to prevent those things. Um, it was a heck of a play by that player, and um, there are things that, you know, happened on that play that, you know, are a result of coaching. And there's things that happen on that play that are a result of maybe some younger players not making the right decision in certain aspects of it. So when plays like that happen around the league, it's certainly an opportunity for us as coaches to show, here's why this play happened. Um, here's what this team did good or bad. There's what that team did good or bad. But, you know, th there is a, there's a validation on the outside part of it because those are the plays that get the attention, right? It's a, it's a walk-off touchdown. It's a long return. Um, but there are other plays that happen throughout a season or throughout a game that maybe it's not quite as um, noticeable, but they're impact plays. So we try to educate our guys on both aspects of those. And if you, uh, you know, don't follow sports too well and – Maybe you're listening to the wrong show, but I, I appreciate it. Um, and you're just a fan of me. But uh, obviously what, you know, uh, the question was pertaining to and what the answer was, was uh, the Jets, though uh, Aaron Rodgers left the game, which uh, later we found out was a uh, torn Achilles and he's out for the rest of the season. And they were down at the time. They came back and they won it against the Bills at home um, in a in walk-off fa fashion via a punt return. And if you go uh, back and, and watch it, you'll find it. I guarantee you, you will find it. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just a great play all around. You know, obviously what you don't know is, you know, like what he was talking about there, what Jeff was talking about there is, is the guys for the – for the Bills, whether there was some rookies or other guys that made mistakes and that, that should have done this or should have done that to prevent 
said um, punt return for a touchdown from happening. But one thing that you'll notice, or at least I, you know, I noticed, and hopefully you will too if you've seen it, is, and I'm not sure, can't remember who it was that returned it. Um, but once he got to a certain point, he started out running everybody, and then then he slowed down and kind of waited for his blockers to kind of catch catch up, push guys out of the way. There were a couple guys that were, you know, kind of grabbed onto him, but, you know, not not very tightly, and he was able to break free and then, you know, get into the end zone. And so it was very, very smart by him to kind of like, he was, you know, obviously directing traffic, telling his guys, hey, hey you know, um, get the guy in front of me, do what they're doing. Um, and he, he created his own path near the end. So it was a, you know, brilliance by him. And obviously there's a lot to go in it. And, and and I've said this before, someone in special teams like Jeff Rogers, he has to think both offensively and defensively. And that's the beauty of transition is, um, you know, like he said, offensively, hey, did you see that bomb that was thrown for a touchdown? Yeah, man, that was awesome. He asked defensively, he's like, well, that's great for our team, but, you know, defensively we can't let that happen. And then for offensively, or for special teams, is like, man, that's awesome, and you know that that's what we're coaching. But we're also coaching the other side of it is like, hey, we can't let that happen. So I, I think it's it's a little bit of both, and it's a very very tricky when it comes to to special teams. And uh, thankfully, Jeff Rogers, we have him, and and he he's he's solid at, at both. It was to see a guy like Dennis start for you, and then now get to start for the defense. Well, I think that's the way that you want it to happen. Um, somebody asked me this a couple of years ago here, and it's like, as as an organization, I think every organization's goal would be to have young guys come in, develop into offensive or defensive players, and ascend into roles, whether they're undrafted, drafted, whatever. I mean, that's kind of what keeps things going. You don't want to you know, get so old of a team to where you know there's not any young guys doing those things. So. With Dennis specifically, yeah, he played a big role for us the last few years in the kicking game. He's getting his chance chance on defense right now, and he's making the most of it. Um, you know, really happy for him, but it's also really good for our other younger guys to see this is what this dude did when he first got in the league. Here's how he impacted the game. He's hung around long enough to get those opportunities, and uh, he's making some sizable contributions for us defensively. Dennis Gardeck is – Man, what a story for him. I mean, to do what he's doing and, and making big impacts defensively and on a special team still. It's 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 impressive being, you know, somewhat of an undrafted, I do believe he's undrafted kind of guy, and worked his way up. Exactly what Jeff Rogers talked about. That's what you want. And, uh, man, uh, I love Dennis Gardeck. Love Dennis Gardeck. Um... Well, as uh, you can imagine, Philadelphia Philadelphia media is uh, still ripping on Jonathan Gannon and every move, everything he's saying, and um, prob- probably had somewhat of a heyday because, oh, hey, look, our former coach, their new coach, lost, sucker, kind of thing, and 
Dan and Vince kind of talk about, you know, not exactly that, but the topic of, you know, why the Philadelphia market can't seem to let Jonathan Gannon go. I mean, he, he, it's like he's living rent free in their heads. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigly Blast. So, what do you know? Another day, another hit piece directed at Jonathan Gannon from a publication in Philadelphia. Okay, Philly, we get it. Maybe he lied to you. Maybe his defense sucked in the second half of the Super Bowl. But this idea that he lost you a championship is conspiratorial and laughable. And besides, you're Philadelphia, supposedly one of the toughest, roughest, bare-knuckled sports town in America. Get over it. Oh, and look, here's Steve Keim on television talking to Colin Coward, saying it is not smart for NFL teams to hire defensive-minded head coaches at this point in NFL history, not unless that person's an elite leader. Memo to Steve Keim, shut up. Seriously, you do not have license to be critical about the Cardinals because they are in this ditch mostly because of you. So finally, memo to the Bird Gang. If you were enthused by what you saw in week one and you have tickets for Sunday's game, you might want to rally around this football team, a team that is being wildly disrespected by outsiders and insiders alike and a team that might need a little emotional support after all the Giants they're the next opponent and they're the most embarrassed team in the league at the moment then come the Cowboys and the reminder a start of a new era is not a good time to be selling your tickets to infidels if you know what I'm saying yeah um, you're right there's a, a faction of the Philly media maybe it's all of the Philly media that is really focusing in on every word that comes out of Jonathan Gannon's mouth. So they have more fodder. They've got more, quote-unquote, ammunition against him. Yeah, to prove he cost them a championship. Uh, By the way, it is official. Adam Schefter put it out there that uh, the MRI confirmed Aaron Rodgers officially tore his Achilles tendon on the fourth play of last night's game. Uh, He is out for the rest of the season, and now the questions can begin on uh, his future in New York or in the NFL after that. We'll get back into that in just a little bit. This is... This is from the, the Philly Voice, uh, mm-hmm. the the piece that you referenced uh, earlier in the show and in the blast. Um, and this is just, uh, you know, it, it's got a lot of the examples we've talked about, the things that Jonathan Gannon has said in interviews, the things that he said uh, during the uniform reveal party that everybody in, in Philadelphia said, wait, that didn't happen. There's a lot of fact-checking going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Um, this writer writes, uh, a day after the story from The Athletic came out, Marcus Hayes of The Inquirer reported that the above happen- a, a nev- story never actually happened. That was the story about uh, Jonathan Gannon taking credit for Shane Steichen taking over play-calling duties midway through 2021. Uh, that's been refuted a lot. Uh, not that Marcus needs me to vouch for him, but I can confirm that, that his report was accurate. It's going to be hilarious when the Cardinals lose 15-plus games and Caleb Williams decides he wants no part of that blank show, so he goes back to USC for his senior season. Yeah. That is the prevailing th- – this is the media. <laughs> I, I Look, yes, and I can understand if people in Philadelphia think that Jonathan Gannon is practicing revisionist history or if they're countering stories he's telling and saying that's not true. Okay, I get that. What I do not understand, 
is all these examples of how bad the Eagles' defense were was in the second half of the Super Bowl, and they've there's one tweet, one metric after another. The Eagles' defense had played 400 football games in the past X amount of years. That game was the 395th worst, and for it to happen in the Super Bowl, and everybody is blaming the defensive coordinator. What about the players? There's not a word said about the players. And again, there's some responsibility to be shared by all here, but we've heard Hassan Reddick talk about the Super Bowl. He doesn't sound like a guy angry at his defensive coordinator. No. So He was get, one of the guys that was more angry at the turf. Yes, yes. So to me, when I, I think you look at this, and it, it's, it, it, it must be driving them crazy that Jonathan Gannon actually had a really good week one. Um, yes. I mean, ultimately, they, they lost the game, so there's there's that silver lining for those people in Philadelphia. But we haven't seen, uh, honestly speaking, Vic, we haven't seen a lingering reaction to a Super Bowl loss since Seattle lost to the Patriots. When Daryl Belville called the pass down at the goal line, Malcolm Butler picked it off. That's a good com- That's a good comparison. That lingered for a long time. In fact, some people believe the Seahawks organization was never the same after that. The Legion of Boom was never the same after that. That, I mean, that came down to one play. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I you want to talk about you know putting these on the scale of legitimacy as far as gripes go for an mm-hmm. excuse to lose a Super Bowl. That one holds a lot more water than our defensive coordinators lying about things. Yeah. Right, exactly. Get, get, they have, o- get over it. They have the animosity towards him that some ASU fans have towards Herm Edwards or U of A fans have towards Sean Miller when they see them now, except that both those guys actually did illegal stuff that hurt their teams and programs yeah, and left them right. in worse s- spots. Yeah, This is just them not liking the way well, he coached a half in a, in a game. And again, if, if you were going to flip this, and and it, it, there would probably be football fans in Philly that would say, yeah, it's real easy for you to say it's no no big deal. But we're talking about a Super Bowl here. And we're talking about a, a defensive coordinator who may not have been all in, who may have been um, secretly planning for a job interview. They ignore the fact that Shane Steichen did the exact same thing the exact same week. But he was allowed to do it, so it's not a big deal. There's just a little too much scapegoating here that I oh. think is really unbecoming for a town like that. Well, it, it, if this was Portland, I'd get it. It's very convenient. They lose a Super Bowl on a Sunday, Monday. Their defensive coordinator, after a defensive failure by everyone involved, by yeah. the way, mm-hmm. takes another coaching job. It's easier to scapegoat Jonathan Gannon for that than it is to take blame or maybe I don't know. Admit that you got beat by a superior football team. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then secondarily, as referenced in the blast, I, I really would like Steve Kime to stop talking about the Cardinals. It really is grotesque. Yeah, I mean, just stopping short of, wow, the Cardinals are really in dire straits yeah, right yeah. now. I wonder why. Oh. Well, yeah, 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 you're really, if you're who hiring. Who did this? If you're, yeah, who did this? If it, you're hiring we're a defensive. trying to find who did this. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey. If you're hiring a, a defensive-minded head coach, you're doing it wrong, says the guy who hired Cliff Kingsbury. No, he's got to be a dynamic leader. Oh, right. What was your last head coaching yeah, hire? Right. How did that fall on the, you know, yeah. uh, I, it's just, in it's terms grotesque. of dynamic leadership? It's just grotesque. I'll tell you what. If the Arizona Cardinals are in dire straits, then Steve Kime is Mark Knopfler, babe. <laughs> then Steve Kime's getting money for nothing, babe. <laughs> really, it's I've heard enough from both of them. Yeah, me too. Philly media is not close to being done, though. 
No, they're going to continue revel in uh, their former defensive coordinator losing games, and then you know they'll rip him or something about him, something he says, even if he wins. It's it's going to be an all season thing, and that that's it's absolutely insane uh about that and i i mean you see the point is like you know he was was the man checked out you know a little bit because he 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 was getting himself ready for an nfl uh job and uh so that's why they you know they lost the super bowl i mean there's so much there you know you can say yeah probably a little bit but you know the uh, Guys have to execute, and there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of that. There's there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And it's easier for me to say as someone that, you know, um, I didn't have a, you know, a coordinator to, to, to blame, but maybe a couple of players that were standing on the field and got in the way of Larry Fitzgerald uh, trying to uh, make a tackle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm – pretty upset with that and and there was only one toe down on that uh uh in that end zone there was not two so anyway that that's my little um super bowl frustration rip job um and then uh wolf and luke they had a conversation also a little bit uh uh yesterday uh you know i'm wondering if something has clicked for Kyler Murray and during this this rehab time. Now, this story on CBS caught my attention. It's from Jonathan Jones, and he's looking at when Kyler Murray uh, should be coming back this season for the Cardinals. And let's see. The sources tell CBS Sports the Cardinals are pleased with the work ethic, rehab, and study habits of quarterback Kyler Murray, who begins the season on the physically unable to perform list as he continues to recover from January surgery. In fact, Murray pushed throughout camp to not go on the pup list so he wouldn't be forced to sit out at least the first four games of the season. Barring any setbacks, the hope in Arizona is that Murray can return around or by midseason, perhaps even as early as late October, unquote. Late October. Where would that put him? That's, what would that be? How many games in would that be? That's right about there, week eight, I would say. Late October, yeah, it's week seven. Week okay. eight. Week eight. Week October seven. 29th is week eight at home against Baltimore. Okay, so once again, I was hoping that we were going to see Kyla Murray in week five. And again, um, you know what? I've been told his rehab is going really, really well, that he is doing very well. So this is not a surprise to hear these reports right now. But I think, you know, I was hoping that he would be ready by week five. Now, that has been optimistic that has been really optimistic compared to my compadres around me like paul calvisi by way of thing <laughs> all right paul calvisi is like there's no way I, he doesn't think that uh, kyler murray's coming back week five nor does dave pash think that he's coming back week five i think when they did our prediction piece for the website here i think i had week 10 against atlanta week 10 okay yeah, yeah. you know what i think week seven week eight yeah that's probably more like it right now, but being the optimist that I am and knowing that Kyler Murray's rehab has gone very well, or so I'm told, 
Yeah, I was hoping week five. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's not off the table yet. I mean, what do you make of the fact that in this story, Kyler Murray was pushing to not even go on the pup list? That, to me, sounds like, like look. That I, matters. I, I said week 10 um, in, in our story on, on the website. I probably would go around week eight or week nine. I was just thinking home game against Atlanta is a little bit of an easier landing spot. But either way, that part of that story makes it sound like week five is very much on the table. That part, just if, if Kyler's going to be like, no, I don't want to miss the first four weeks, then that doesn't sound like somebody who knows he's missing the first 12 weeks. Yeah. You know, I think you're right about that, but hopefully again, um, this is where in ACL, and I know that there were some complications with his surgery, but this is where in ACL, this is exactly where he's going to be for the most part. Right in the middle of September to October, the middle of October right now, nine to 10 months. That to me is the sweet spot for coming back from an ACL. What do you make of the part of the story where the Cardinals are are talking up just uh, the way he has been studying, the way he's been preparing? Would they say uh, the Cardinals are pleased with the work ethic, rehab, and study habits of Kyler Murray? Look, it's something has happened to Kyler Murray. I don't know what that is. I don't know what is going on. I, I, I think, though, we are definitely going to see a different Kyler Murray when he comes back because he has done a lot of things differently. And this is one of the reasons why, and I've, I've said this many, many times, Luke, but it's one of the reasons why I said what I said, that maybe this was going to be the best thing for Kyler Murray. And I hated the fact that I said it a week after it happened. That was bull crud on my part right there because you're still, it's still too close to actually tearing the ACL and finishing his season, knowing the long rehab that he had ahead of him. But to me, again, there had to be this still point moment where Kyler Murray came to the waters, metaphorically speaking and realized at some point in time he's got to do something differently than what he's always done. From what he's always done with Oklahoma, from what he's always done as a rookie with Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals, what he's always done going to two Pro Bowls, he's got to do something differently. He's got to do things differently. And I think he's realized that. And it's because of all this downtime. I mean, he's he's alluded to that. He said that in, in flight plan, that it was essentially this has to be one of the best things that happened to him because what's the alternative? You sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You don't, <laughs> you're not coming back by mid-October, late-October, mid-season, whatever, if you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, I think it's been big that he's been around the team. We've detailed that. DJ Humphreys has detailed that about how he knows his quarterback better now than he did the first few years of his career because they were both rehabbing different injuries, but they were rehabbing alongside each other. You know, I I know I've said this before, but Kyler's not even playing right now, and it feels like he's on this team more than it did at times the first few years when he was playing. It felt like it was Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Now he's not even playing, and it feels like he's on the team more. So we... You know, we we focus on you and I in particular on on how he's got to come back this season, and it, it you know that that was what caught my attention in the story in the first place. They were like, "There's no way he's missing the whole season right. on the story." Right. Um, but uh, you know, we we talk about how it's so important because the Cardinals need to know: is this our guy, or do we got to be looking at Caleb Williams if we have the first pick, or do we got to be looking elsewhere if we don't have the first pick? 
the other part of this is Kyler needs to get back for himself to see where he is to help figure out if, if this team is his future or what. Like, there's we can pretend there isn't a bunch of stuff up in the air, or we can just all be realistic and, and acknowledge that there is. No, that's that's a great point right there, and it really is. It's a, it's a situation where Kyler Murray has got to come back. He has to come back for that very reason right there. And I think there's no doubt about it that Kyler Murray is going to be a better quarterback because of it, because of all of this. He had to have that paradigm shift in his life where he came to the realization that he had to go under center and do things a little bit differently for his career to continue to evolve the way that it started. Think of how it started for Kyler Murray. Oh, just win the Offensive Rookie of the Year. And, oh, by the way, back it up with two Pro Bowl seasons. That's how it started. Everything said all is well. (laughs) All is well. Nothing to see here. It's Kyler Murray. It's everything he's ever done. He's experienced success. Everything individually. But now, see how it changes, Basinonians? It's not about the individual. Not in the NFL. Not when you're a franchise quarterback. It's about the team. You have to win as a franchise quarterback now. And that's the challenge to Kyler Murray. Yeah, that that is going to be a challenge, especially coming off of an injury. If I had to give um, my you know opinion of when I think Kyler will be back, um, I'm thinking between, uh, I don't think he comes back immediately, you know, coming off a of pup. I, I think, well, I guess if he gets put, if they take him off a of pup, then you, you know, you would think that he would be back week five, but I don't know if that is, I, I think, I think they give him a full week to, to practice and then he come, then he plays week six. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Between six and eight, week six and eight is when he'll be he'll see the field. Um, it would be impressive if uh, and and hearing those comments that you heard, um, 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 Luke say that he didn't even want to start on pup starting the season. That that like that was his goal, and he had hoped that he wouldn't. That means that he's working as hard as he can to get off of it. Um, I think that's that's a big deal. Um, let's go ahead and uh, finish up uh, Cardinals, and we'll go ahead and move on to um, ASU, and that will be up next on uh, Big Sky Sports Talk. All right, Kenny Dillingham spoke to the media uh, yesterday um, after yesterday's uh, practice, and uh, here is uh, what he had to say. With the cloud cover and stuff, does it seem like the guys had a little extra step in their step and a little cooler out here? No, I think the guys just came to work. Not, I don't think the coolness had a difference. We just came to work today. I think they've come to work, uh, you know, most days. So I think today they came to work, and I actually thought we had a really, really good day. One thing I've noticed is, is guys don't hang their heads here, right? Whether it's you know Jake Rashad who's working with the 
third string after that you know spring game, and then you know even Trent Moore gave him hanging his head after he loses a starting spot. He's, he's like a coach out there during games. What is it about the, the character of these kids? Yeah, I mean that's just not how you're going to be successful in life. If you want to be successful in life, you have to respond to situations, good, bad, and different. Uh, nobody cares about your circumstance; they care about the result. And uh, there's a very select few of people who actually care about what you go through, or how what it took for you to get to your location, right? So nobody cares. So you got to focus on you. You got to focus on getting the result that you want. And the only way to do that is just to be successful every single day. And that's our mission here. That's our goal here. That's our vision. That's our program. And when you do that, right, there's going to be highs and lows, but you're going to constantly improve in different areas, and that's the challenge. You have to get tired. <laughs> Working on the quads. <laughs> you, you. Uh, yeah, we're just getting them reps over there. Uh, there's not really much to it. We just got to get some reps over there, get some good speed over there, and we'll roll from there. You talked about you know, having to adapt to certain situations. How creative do you think you need to get when it comes to offense? You kind of showed some bits of it with the sparky formation with McCann and so on. The sparky formation? Yeah, I said the Wildcat. I guess oh, oh gotcha. Spark. I didn't want to say gotcha. that word, you know. No, it's, no, it's good. Yeah, the sparky, the, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. That's just a football word. Right. Uh, if you make it plural, it's the other word. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, uh, but no, so for us, uh, it was just something we saw on tape. Uh, that we kind of knew exactly what we were going to get in. We knew we could create an advantage uh, with the numbers with when they sub their big people. So uh, we kind of knew that was going to be a free a free points for us if they did it and it worked. Then they made an adjustment to you know stay in little people uh, versus our big people. So that's something we're going to be continue to be creative. You know you're going to see us be a lot different this week than we had the weeks prior, just because you have to change to your players. You have to change to your personnel. You can't just say this is what I've done for. You know, seven years when we've been top five offenses, we're just gonna do this again. No, you can't do that. You gotta change and adapt and be able to uh, utilize your personnel to the best of their ability. Coach, how difficult is that with the terminology and all the stuff you're trying to do now? Is it different than what you base your base offense is? No, the, uh, the verbiage and everything we do is very versatile. That's one thing, if anybody who's ever played us, they know we're very different every week already. We have our core of what we wanna be but we have to maybe make some tweaks to the philosophy of how we're gonna attack. And I don't wanna get too much into detail on that in terms of changing of the philosophy behind that. It's not changing the offense, it's not changing anything like that. It's just changing the philosophy on how to attack. Hi, BJ. Good decision. Let's make him pun again. How's the offense? No. Well, we've had to change the practice structure offensively so we don't go over scouts because we don't have enough alignment to run two groups. So we have to do a period of scouts uh, where scouts and a period of scouts versus uh, on essentially air in front, just because we still have to get the reps for the skill and everybody, but we don't have the, the depth to run a defensive scout team and be in the two deep offensively. So I've asked you in the spring, I asked you in fall camp, I asked you again, who's your favorite defense player? Uh, where is Clayton Smith? Oh, hey, buddy. Yeah, hi, Clayton Smith. My favorite defense is BJ. Yes. My, yes. my favorite defensive end is Clayton. So. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. That kind of hurt my feelings. Now you don't have a question. Yeah, I do have a question. Um, I have a question. Um, 
Coach Dillingham, um, how do you feel about the pregame hype videos? We're not answering any questions oh. right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're not answering any questions right now. See y'all later. <laughs> Coach, how's the offensive, how are the offensive guys adapting to this? Awesome. You know, like I said, we're just adapting to our personnel, and that's part of year one offensively uh, is you've got to see in games what is productive and what is not, and then you've got to be willing to change. And uh, right now, you know, what we're doing is not getting it done. You know, consistently, bottom line. You know, it's a results-based deal. And it doesn't matter the why, it doesn't matter if it's accumulation of things. So you've got to be willing to maybe change some things in order to try to get things done. So that's really it. We're not making like catastrophic changes. It's just little pieces of philosophy uh, on early downs uh, that you may have to tweak in order to try to move the ball at a high rate. Is, there, is this more of a lot about halftime adjustments or changing in the second half, anything like that? No, that doesn't, doesn't really have to do with that. It's just, uh, I mean, obviously we're going to have a, probably a, a plan for the second half. we got to improve there, uh, coming out of the second half better. But at the end of the day, the last second half, I mean, we got to a third and one. I think we had two first downs, got to a third and one in the plus territory and just didn't convert a third and one, fourth and one. It doesn't matter what halftime adjustments you make. You're going to go to your third and one or fourth and one game plan. So that scenario isn't even a halftime adjustment uh, when you cut when it, you talk about that scenario. So I wouldn't necessarily think drastic changes there. We just got to make a little bit of changes to stay in a rhythm and get back in a rhythm outside of the half. Your thoughts on Fresno State, a team that's been scoring quite a bit. Is that Brooks kid's not the biggest guy, but he's always open. They have the second longest win streak in the country. So when you have the second longest win streak in the country, you're doing something right. Uh, and their coordinator, uh, obviously their offense coordinator got a power five OC job because he did a phenomenal job working for Coach Tedford, their NFL guy came from the NFL, their defense coordinator came from the NFL. He actually used to work for Coach Marv uh, back in the day. He does a phenomenal job on defense. They're well coached, they play hard, they play with a grit. You can tell that culture has been instilled there since Tedford was there the last time, you know, because it was Tedford. And then uh, uh, Coach Debo took over, our coach at uh, Gallium Spacing right now, who took over uh, after him. It was his offense coordinator, Spacing. Uh, and then from there, uh, he came back. So it's been the same culture there for six, seven years now. And you can tell it, uh, it's, it's there. Well, obviously, you can tell that there was a good practice. Uh, kind of wondering wh what the reason for the good practice is. And, you know, they had some cloud cover there. And it was a little bit of a cooler day. And and uh, was wondering if that was the case. And uh, Kenny Dillingham said, no, I think they just – we had guys ready to roll. And then um, the the mentioning of – Hey, this group doesn't seem like you know they, they they get down a whole lot. They got their heads up. They're they're you know ready to rock and roll. And he said, "Well, you know they're not, but uh, they you can't win games with your with you know when you're down in the mully grubs." He didn't say mully grubs, but you know you you get the point. Um, so uh, not a whole heck of a lot else uh, was. Super grabbing by me that, that 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 I remember that I, you know, would comment about. Um, but always good to, you know, have a solid practice after you know a a, a tough a tough loss. Um, Dbex.com doesn't have any of the um, game 
uh, ready for me um, uh, from uh, yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening. Um, but like I said, and as promised, I would go ahead and just uh, talk about it briefly now and just kind of talk you know mention where um the diamondbacks are unfortunately it was a um a loss so uh they still have time to win the series but it was a game game two loss and and with the loss the d-backs are um back at 12 and a half they were at an even uh 12 Back of the Dodgers. I don't think now they're going to uh, necessarily catch them. They are one and a half games uh, above um, the Giants, and where they sit in the wild card is still third, um, a game above San Francisco and a, a game above the Reds, and still two games back of uh, uh, the Cubs. So that's that's where the Diamondbacks are right now. Um, if you want to shoot me an email, you can uh, Big Sky Sports Talk at gmail.com. Um, you can shoot me a direct message on Facebook and Instagram at Big Sky Sports Talk. I also have uh, TikTok and YouTube at Big Sky Sports Talk as well. And uh, get involved in the conversation. Anything you want to say or anything that's on your mind, uh, please let me know. And um, I'm I'm always open to it. Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon, music, plenty of places to listen to the podcast and hit that uh, follow button, that that subscribe button, and uh, hit that bell notification so that way you don't miss out on episodes and uh, like, follow, comment, and share uh, posts and help get the word out about the show. I, I, um, of course, really, really appreciate it. Um, we'll uh, talk uh, the uh, Diamondbacks game in its entirety uh, for tomorrow's uh, show. And um, hopefully we have Nick Rollis as well. So until then, I hope you guys have uh, a good day and we'll uh, chat later. Thanks. Thanks.